Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the 10 to Track Weekly World Match Previews Podcast. Now, that name is pretty long and a little bit clunky, but you know what? It says exactly what we do, World Match Previews, specifically mini previews of usually top two matches from various leagues around the world, as well as international and club tournament matches. And the best part is, is we do things uniquely. We do not define what are the best or most intriguing matches much the way anybody else does. We might look at big teams from big leagues and big countries, but we're not afraid to go to any size country in any confederation in the world we love to get our learning on. I am your host, Soccer Noob. Joining, as always, will be my nine-year-old daughter, co-host, Person Noob. Hello! And she'll be handling the countdown and a myriad of other duties this particular week. We will have a fun visit from Noobstradamus as well, our in-house prognosticator, and a new segment of sorts, as I understand it, from Person Noob. I'm kind of curious to find out what that is myself, so there's going to be some surprises. In any case, as far as the footy, we're going to be talking about matches from Friday through Thursday. That's going to be September 10 through 16. With no further ado, let us jump right in with... March number one. Our soccer week runs Friday through Thursday, but we did not happen to have any Friday matches that made the cut. So this particular episode, we will start on Saturday and we will do so right here stateside with the best major league soccer match of the week, in my opinion. It's going to be the second place currently Colorado Rapids taking on number four LA Galaxy in the West. Now they're about two thirds of the way through the season of Major League Soccer. A reminder that each of the two conference winners, East and West, will get automatic berths into the CONCACAF Champions League. And in terms of our domestic title, the top six teams from each conference will qualify for the playoffs. The number one teams in each of the conferences will get to advance straight through to the semifinals. Now, you can catch this. I, I don't think, or at least I wasn't able to find on broadcast an English language stream, but you can certainly catch it on Univision at 3.30 Eastern is going to be the kickoff. Uh, in uh, recent history this season, they've only played once so far, and Colorado went on the road 1-2. to two. That was about three weeks ago. The series overall has been very, very even between these two uh, in recent years. 11-5-11 and 11 is each of their records against one another. Taking a look at the current table, the West race for the title is red hot as things stood at the time that I scouted the games. And I'll just uh, kind of put this out as a caveat for any and all of the matches that I'm doing. There is a gap in time between when I'm recording and when you're probably hearing this. So, Take standings and such with you know that little bit of a grain of salt or a reminder, if you will. Seattle, 42 points to the table, so the Sounders are leading. Colorado in second place at 41, just a point behind. SKC, that's Kansas City at 40, and then uh, LA Galaxy, 36. There's a little bit more of a gap before you get to fifth place. So even the Galaxy aren't in any real serious danger of, say, missing the playoffs, but neither do I think they're going to be able to contend for the number one seat at this point. But that is hardly to say that Seattle has things guaranteed. We'll take a look at the Rapids first out of Colorado. They are one of uh, MLS's founding members. Uh, They were started up in 1995. As far as their historical success, well, they won the MLS Cup. That's the playoffs, which means the overall title here in the States and Canada. They won that in 2010. Now, they've made three CONCACAF Champions League appearances, but they've never made a whole lot of noise there. 2011 uh, was one of the times in the most recent time they made the group stage, and that ties for the best they've ever done in that event. Last year, they finished in fifth place overall in the West, 
and they were out of the playoffs in the very first round, so they're itching to get back. This year, the offense is okay. They're tied for number five in that particular regard. The defense is where they've really been shining. They've got the second best in the conference, and they are one of two teams that is allowing less than one goal per match on average, and they are tied for second place overall in what I find to be a very critical indicator, the goal differential. Now, who do you want to be looking for if you're watching this and not familiar with the teams on Univision? Well, their top offensive player going right now is probably Englishman Jack Price. He's a midfielder. He's in the top 10 in assists, not just for the Western Conference, but for the entire league. And then they have a very underrated goalkeeper. He's only ever made a Three appearances with the U.S. men's national team. I suspect he was a bit of a late bloomer. Might just be having his very his very first good year. I'm not sure. But in any case, he is a longtime veteran. He actually played with Leon in Liga MX for many years. And uh, as far as the team's current form, they are unbeaten in their last seven. And they have either shut everyone out or only conceded one goal in all those matches. So they're red hot and at home for this one. L.A. Galaxy, they were also a charter member for MLS. Last year, they finished in 10th place, which would have been good enough to make sort of the preliminary rounds of the playoffs of playing around in the East, but it was not in the West. I believe they had different numbers of teams last year. Those things are always shifting with expansion. They won the CONCACAF Champions League as well, but all the way back in 2000. They have five MLS Cup titles, though, yet they haven't won one since 2000. Uh, or rather, I should say, all the titles they won were between 2002 and 2014. They've also won the Supporter Shield four different times. That means the best record of the league. They most recently won that in 2011. They haven't been to the CONCACAF Champions League since 2015, so they have not been red hot, but obviously looking pretty good this year. Who to look for? Top 10 in scoring in the league is Javier Hernandez, striker from Mexico, a very famous player. Chicharito. The little P, his dad was, I'm assuming, the Chicaro or whatever the word for a big P would be, because he was also a professional player. Chicharito is just five foot nine. Now, uh, he's a longtime veteran as well. Spent the heart of his career with Manchester United. It's hard to have much better than that on your resume. Where to look for him on your television or computer screen? Keep your eyes very close to the net when they're on offense. He is a goal poacher. He loves to sneak behind the defense. After all these years, he's still very good with it. Even when he's under like 10 feet from the goal, he manages to somehow get in behind people. Also, on the assist leaderboard setting up, and a little bit surprising because of his age, he's a box-to-box play, box box player, a defender named Julian Arujo. Uh, he's a U.S. player. He plays right back, a traditionally defensive position, and just 20 years old. And yet there he is running around getting lots of assists. I love to see that out of the guys who are technically defenders. Uh, he repped for the USMNT at the youth levels, but just a month ago, it turns out he is not going to be available to the S. He has made uh, FIFA allows a one-time switch in uh, national team allegiance and uh, if your parents or I believe even grandparents are from some other country or hold citizenship there, you can also rep for them. And he switched over to Mexico. But the guy who has really been the key to everything, I believe their best overall player is uh, Ryan Ravelosin, who represents internationally for Madagascar, born there, raised in the French territory of uh, Reunion, and he is a 24-year-old midfielder. They just got him a few months ago. He came over from uh, Troyes in France's League One in May. Now, their current form, they are 0-1-2 in their last three. So my thoughts on this one, well, looking at their uh, past games, 
LAFC just, or rather the Galaxy just played LAFC to a 3-3 draw. I think that they're going to be somewhat worn out, and this is something of a trap game for them. Then, of course, there's also the expression that, quote, defense travels, end quote. And to be honest, the Galaxy's defense is not good at all. Colorado has been scorching hot. It's hard to not see them getting the three points today. Match number B. Thank you for your weekly reminder, person new, in public service announcement style, that number two, yuck, it's bathroom talk. Don't you feel uncouth just hearing it? I feel filthy just saying it. I need like a crying game, scalding hot sort of shower after that. So join us, please, in our quiet revolution that is replacing that phrase with the number B. You will be that much cooler and hip, Team Noob promises. And match number B is a Sunday match. Yeah, we only had one for Saturday that ended up making our cut. Interestingly, we stay stateside once again, this time for the ladies' side of the footy, the NWSL, the women's top flight, is going to give us number B, North Carolina Courage, versus number one, Portland Thorns. You can catch it, 3 o'clock Eastern time kickoff on CBS Sports Network. They're about three-quarters of the way through the season. Here's how the table looks. Portland, they've got a real advantage here because not only are they leading by three, but they've got a game in hand against the next two teams. Portland are at 32, and then North Carolina, they're ahead of Seattle on goal differential, but both of them have 29. So it's very much advantage Portland, yet we still very much have a three-horse or what I believe will shortly become a two-horse race. I don't think Seattle is good enough to keep up, quite frankly. In any case, this is the second time they've played this season. Uh, the Courage won the first match 2-0, and it was in carry for that one as well. The teams will play one more time, the very last regular season match for each of them, and Portland will actually get to host that one. They play each other three times in this league. As far as the series goes, 10-7-1 in favor of the Courage. A little bit surprised. I've always thought of you know, Portland as the historical league power, but the Courage have uh, taken over that mantle to a large degree. They were founded uh, just four years ago when uh, somebody bought uh, the Western New York Flash and brought them down to Cary, which is the smallest of three uh, cities in the overall Raleigh-Durham-Cary uh, conglomerate there in North Carolina. The team has won two league titles, 2018 and 19. They also won the Supporters' Shield those two years and the year prior to those two titles, 2017. This year, offense has been very good, number three in that category, but the defense is where they're really getting it done. They've only allowed nine goals in 17 matches. That allows them to be for uh, tied for first place overall in goal differential. Players to look for if you're catching this on the tube. Uh, number five league-leading scorer is Lynn Williams. She is a forward. And then we have another defender getting in on the offensive categories, another box-to-box playing gal. Number one in league assists is Carson Pickett. And then this would be arguable for some. I don't think it's particularly close. I think that the best goalkeeper by a lot is theirs, Casey Murphy. I know she uh, leads the league in the clean sheets at the very least. As far as the team's current form, their last two matches, they've only managed draws and against kind of weak competition, to be honest. But that said, they are unbeaten in their last seven. Now, Portland, uh, they made the semifinals the last true fully complete season, 2019, finished in third place in the regular season. They have won the league title twice, most recently 2017, also won the Supporter Shield in 2016. This year, their offense looks even more balanced than the Courage. They've got the best offense in the league, second best defense, and as you would imagine, they are the ones with whom the Courage are tied, an overall goal differential. And in that particular category, that's where I think Seattle falls short. That is a gritty, tough team used to winning a lot, but I think Seattle is going to end up finishing in third, to be perfectly honest. 
Players to look for, top 10 in league scoring is Simone Charlie. And then top 10 in assists is a gal, and her name was new to me. I think she just climbed onto the leaderboard. Megan Klingenberg, another defender, a veteran left back. And then uh, probably one of the top three goalies in the league is also Portland's, a gal named Bella Bixby. As far as their current form, they just lost for the first time since late June in their very last match. Now, my thoughts on how this one's going to go, I'm not reading too much into that loss that Portland just took because that was against a absolutely red-hot Seattle team. So that was a the Cascadia Derby for them. It was a huge match, obviously, for that particular reason. And Seattle's been red-hot of of late, but I still don't think they're going to finish in the top two. In any case, I think Portland was doing well enough prior to that, that they can go on the road to carry and get a result here. I am predicting a draw. Match number three. This is another Sunday match, but this time we hop across the pond, Europe specifically, to Latvia. The Verse Liga, or translated the higher league, is what they call their top flights. This is just rated the number 37 overall league in UEFA, so hardly one of the worst, but not in the top half, and that's up three from a year ago. Interesting side note, it puts them between much, uh, two red-hot league associations from much smaller countries also on the rise, Luxembourg and Kosovo. Congratulations to uh, all three on their new placement in the brand new UEFA coefficients. They're a little bit more than halfway through the season there, and this is sort of one of those northern European teams that doesn't, uh, they start a few months prior to all the quote-unquote big European leagues like England, Spain, France, and so on. In any case, your matchup is number B, Valmiera FC versus number one, RFS. Now, RFS lead by two, and they have two matches in hand. This is one of your two traditional powers. Uh, Riga FC is the other one, and they're in a moderately distant third place. So it really is look like uh, looking like RFS is going to run with uh, run away with the league eventually here in the second half to stay to possibly stop that, I don't think there's any way around it. This is a must-win uh, for Valmiera because they've already played twice, and they'll only play two more times. I believe it's just an eight-team league. The home, or not, I'm sorry, the home teams have lost each of the first two. Interestingly, RFS won their first match of the season nil one, and then Valmiera got them back with a shootout in a two-three match. Uh, the series, as you would imagine, what I said before, it's going very much the way of RFS overall. Or in recent years, they are. 10-1-3 and three against Valmiera. And now, as is our weekly tradition for match number three, rather than giving you a standard mini preview, we always invent, endeavor to give you a chance to make some money. We try to do the same thing. This is when we bring to bear our on-contract prognosticator, Noob Stradamus. And for a change, I'm actually extra excited for this particular one because last week, for the first time ever, he got a match score right. He's gotten a winner like only twice in nearly a year, but this one, he got the USA-Honduras match, or I'm sorry, USA-Canadia match dead on. He predicted correctly the 1-1 draw. And even more elating for us, he is here in person in the studio, comes to visit a couple times a year. And to be honest, he looks a little bit kind of off already, but... Maybe that means he's already preparing, kind of slowly sliding into his uh, trance-like state so that he might have a rich, rewarding, and almost always really weird vision. And so divine us a score from the match, from the vision. So take it away, O mighty soothsayer. Greetings from the merciless Thracian plains of Greece. Wait, hold up. Greece? Uh, Nostradamus, you're right 
here. I'm glad you could visit in person. Old habits. Greetings from the merciless guest room recording studio of Noob. Merciless? Come on, I washed the bedding. Interrupt me thrice and you shall have no vision. More specifically, I won't have one. Questions? Excellent. Because waking me from the trance would go no better than waking up Dale and Brennan from sleepwalking in Step Brothers. A spoonful of sugar makes my expired meds go down. Fast acting. And so, once again, I find myself traveling through space and time. Whee! I am myself. No alternate avatar this week, but I'm in the Baltics, in present-day Latvia, in a merciless forest. Uh, Always the merciless locale with you. Quiet, asshat. I'm walking with a funeral procession, but there is no body being carried. Odd. Odd, Odd, there's a man at the head of the group, flailing at seemingly nothing with a great axe. These are olden times indeed, at least 600 years ago. I know this ritual. He is trying to slow the arrival of the Villai, the dead. They come every September around the autumnal equinox. They must have time. The ancestral spirits visit. Houses must be cleaned. Milk and water be set in the barn so the ghosts may wash. Candles lit in graveyards so that they may see the food left out for them. If all is not abided, the harvest may be poor. But I am not of this place, and so it is not Vilai who come to me in need or anger. I see Jodes, co-creator of the world, yet stealer of souls, pure evil. I am being dragged to Vinsale the other sun, as suns are meant as worlds to these people, the land of the dead. Across the river it lies. On the far shore I see I am honored. Waiting are the four mother deities of wraiths, graves, and sands. But terror strikes in my heart. Silver-robed Mother Earth carries her scythe with her. What awful, eternal fate awaits me? I am to be brought to nothing. My mind claws itself out of the vision, but not the trance. Nothing. By the four mother deities, noob, RFS will be victorious. The score, nil to four. I have seen. I have spoken. And I'm looking even more forward to my respite here beneath your roof now. Getting this high every week is hard. Latvian pre-Christian paganism and folklore. Learning about the world as we learn about soccer. Noobster Dobbins, we will take it. Thank you for your vision and your efforts. Now, that was weird. Um, Before we move on with the countdown... Person Noob has asked to do a brief interview with Noob Stradamus. And since he's here in person, we can have that happen. And then my understanding is that she has her own recorded uh, directly related segment. So that's going to immediately precede the interview should be quick. Looking forward to seeing what this is. 
The mic is yours, kiddo. Take it away. Hey, Mr. Thomas, can I interview you? Sure, person noob. So I have a few questions ready for you. And my first one is, so how long have you been a soothsayer? Almost 3,000 years. Wow. And what inspired you? Hmm. My travels through space and time. Nice. And how old are you? 3,500 years. Really? That's young for a soothsayer. What do you mean, person noob? Didn't you know? I'm 10,000 years old. Person Noob here with Person Noob's Super Surprising News. First episode, yay, I think. Anyways, if you haven't seen the last one, which I'm pretty sure you haven't, or have, because it just, we just did it. So, with my news, I am a certain age, and that is 10,000. And it's super surprising because I act like I'm younger than 20. Because I'm a kid, and that's why I'm a person noob. I'm new to being a person. But I'm not, because I'm 10,000 years old. Person noob, super surprising news. I'll see you all next time. Goodbye! Match number four. We stay on Sunday, but this time we head a little bit further eastward into Asia for a match out of Kyrgyzstan's Premier League. Yeah, this is the number 32 ranked league in the AFC, just like Latvia in Europe. They're in the bottom half, but not by leaps and bounds. It's, a, it's an okay league for over there, but we celebrate football everywhere it is played, and we're always looking for those important and particularly top two matchups. And we've got another one, number one, Olga Bishkek. Uh, the new rising Braps Power League taking on the historical behemoth that is number B, Dordoy Bishkek. Now they're about two-thirds of the way through the season here. Uh, the winner is going to get to go to the AFC Cup, not the AFC Champions League. It works a little bit different over there. Suffice it to say for the moment, the AFC Cup is a secondary tournament of sorts. Behaves a little bit differently in who goes in terms uh, compared to the Europa League. Uh, also an interesting side note about this league, nobody gets relegated. I believe they're only eight deep. But in any case, let's look at how the teams have been doing and how the table looks. Alga currently lead by three. Dordoy uh, Bishkek, however, do have a match in hand. So this is going to go right down to the wire. This is the second time they played in Dordoy uh, Bishkek. They also won uh, 3-0 the other time they played. But we'll talk about the home new power first, Alga, which means forward. Just like in the United States, in one of the uh, lower pro or semi-pro leagues, there's a team forward, Madison. Basically, this is forward or Alga Bishkek. Last year, they finished in second place in the league. Historically, they have five league titles to their credit, but they haven't won it in nearly 20 years. Now, take that with a grain of salt. The records I was looking at might have only been updated through 2015, but Based on knowing a little bit about this uh, country and region, I'm pretty sure Dordoy Bishkek's been uh, holding them off and all the other teams as well. 
They've been to one or two AFC Cups, haven't really made any noise there. This year, the offense is only average. The defense is where their bread has been getting buttered. 11 goals conceded in 18 matches is all. And that's just good for the number three goal differential, which is one of those indicators why I think this is not the team that's going to win the league. Uh, the top three teams statistically offensively are much better than everyone else. And so forward Bishkek is not one of those. Although you can never discount a great defense, of course. Uh, best player to look for in the box score is going to be top 10 league score, Oluwasun Alarawan. And I didn't leave it in my notes. Pretty sure he's from Cameroon or Nigeria. Their current form, they are 1-2-1 and one in their last four. Uh, they just broke that three-game uh, streak with no wins with a win over uh, in another derby, Ilbers Bishkek. Meanwhile, Dordoy Bishkek, probably your champions in waiting, to be perfectly honest. Noob is calling it now. Uh, Dordoy doesn't, I don't believe, translate to anything. It is a corporate title sponsor. They own a, a huge local bazaar, amongst other things. 11 league titles since 2004, and they are the three-time defending league champs. Uh, they've been to the AFC Cup a bunch. They've won about half their matches. don't think they've won any titles or anything, though. Uh, very well balanced. Tied for number one on offense. They score well over two goals per game on average. Second best defense in the league. They are the ones who have the number one goal differential. Tied for uh, second place in league leading scoring is Tersonali Rustamov. I want to say he's Serbian. I forgot to note it. But in any case, he's been very good for them for a long time, and he's got 21 national caps to his credit since 2012. Uh, their current form, they just lost to uh, a team further down the table, Nefci, after three straight wins. My thoughts on this one, I mean, those are called trap games for a reason for a team like Dordoy Bishkek. I think they're going to be just fine for this one and that they are going to get the road win en route to the Kyrgyz title. Match number five. After an exhilarating weekend of footy tracking, you get Monday off new bites, and then we move on to Tuesday. We're here in the midweek. We're going to start hitting, amongst other things, some of the European international club matches. Our Tuesday match for match number five is from the new tertiary tournament called the Europa Conference League. So let me just set this up, and then I'll try not to repeat too much of it in uh, the preceding matches further down the podcast. There's the Champions League for our newer listeners. That's where you know all the best teams basically end up. And then there is a now secondary tournament, the Europa League. And then there is this one, the Europa Conference League, which was is much more designed for like the second through fourth place finishers in all of the uh, well, bottom 60% of the league associations in Europe. So this is a really nice chance for teams from those leagues to shine. But that said, just like there's a connection between the Champions League and the Europa League, teams that lose in the qualifying round of the Champions League aren't done for their international season. They drop down into the Europa League. There will also be teams that drop down from the Europa League to the Europa Conference League. So just to sort of give you that visual, if you will, set the stage for this. So now the event proper is what's stopping is what's starting now. The quote unquote qualifying rounds are done. And now we have a group stage, a double round robin groups of four. We've got 10 teams at this stage that drop down from the Europa League and they are joining 22 teams that have earned their way through the ECL's qualifying rounds. So again, groups of four, double round robin. The winners will advance to the next round, the knockout stage. The second place finishers in each group will go to what is called a preliminary knockout round. They will have to best one of the third place finishers from the group stage of the Europa League. Those teams are going to drop down and have a chance to advance in this competition. 
The matchup I've chosen to focus on for this was a little bit arbitrary. There are several uh, kind of smaller European teams that are in a group stage of any European event for the first time. I happen to choose uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv versus first time group stage appearers Alashkert out of Armenia. Congratulations to them. But we will still talk about the home team first. This is the first match of the group stage for everyone. MTA, Maccabi Tel Aviv. They are the, uh, they're actually rated below, seated below Alaska, believe it or not. Uh, they're only rated number 30 out of 32 in the seating of the teams that are currently left live in this tournament. Uh, they are playing out of the number 22 ranked league in UEFA, so a little bit above average. However, they qualified for this event by winning the 2021 last year's Israeli State Cup. Uh, that is their FA Cup. It used to be that all the FA Cup winners in Europe pretty much went to the Europa League. Now, the FA Cup winners from some of these uh, slightly lesser leagues are, are having to join here in the ECL instead. How did they advance? Well, last round, they beat a pretty darn good team out of Kazakhstan and handled them 1-4 to four on aggregate. Shakhtar Karagandy. Historically, they've actually won the Champions League, or what is now called the Champions League twice. I phrase it that way because the last time they won it was 1971. Dust off the annals to find that. This century, however, they've made the group stage just twice, most recently in 2015-16. Domestically, they are a real power to be dealt with. 23 league titles. Last one was two years ago, 2019-2020. Last year, they finished in second place. They lost the, the title to... Maccabee, Haifa by four points. Nobody else in Israel's top flight was anywhere close to them. Second best offense, number one defense. I believe they were the only club that was allowing fewer than one goal per match. They lost their top two league scorers since the last domestic season finish. So it's going to be interesting to see where they can get their scoring from. Obviously, they've gotten by so far, but uh, their best score went to a, a Turkish top flight team, and their second best score went over, I want to say to Brescia, but wherever it is, it's a, a second division Italian club. So now they're going to have to lean more than ever on last year's second best assist man in the league, Israeli homegrown Dan Byton, an attacking midfielder. Their recent form, they are 1-0-2 across all competitions. Now, Alashkert, the team we're going to uh, focus on a little bit more, or root for maybe a bit since this is their first time in a group stage. They play out of the capital city in their country of Yerevan. The club is actually named for a uh, city in what is now Turkey here in the modern day called Elashkert, pretty close, different opening vowel. In any case, they are the number 22 seeded club remaining. So the prediction should be that they will finish in third place in this group, which won't be good enough, but nevertheless, we'll see what happens. They're rated number 140 overall by UEFA in the club coefficients. Uh, the the league is not that much to behold. They're only ranked number 43 out of the uh, 54 or 55 league associations. Now, they've had an interesting path to get here. I had wondered when all this was first starting to come to be with the new tournament, would it be possible for a team to play in all three of the competitions internationally for Europe in a single season? And it's turned out it's true. They're the defending champs of the league. So they started in the Champions League, but they lost in the second qualifying round to uh, FC Sharif out of Madova. And then they went to the playoff round, this, the very last round before the group stage in the Europa League, where they lost to Scottish side Rangers. And then that <laughs> forced them down, are you keeping up, to the Europa Conference League group stage. 
Domestically, things are a little bit simpler. Four league titles to the credit, and they've won them all since 2015-16. They are 0-1-2 is all to start their new league year, but it's early, and they're probably focusing a bit more on their European competitions, as you would imagine. Uh, Last year in winning the league, very surprising. I've never seen a team score this little and still win the league. They were uh, actually below average out of the nine teams, only fifth or sixth place, and they barely scored over one goal per match. As you might imagine, win the league, they did in fact have the number one defense. It was only good for the number four uh, goal differential overall. So they can't score, but they are gritty, and they like to do apparently what is known as parking the bus, send everybody back and just leave them in front of the goal and uh, be a wall, basically. Now, they did have one of the top ten league scorers last year. You've got to even wonder more now where the heck their offense is going to come from because he went over to a top flight uh, Division One club in Russia that I believe just got promoted up. Also on the scoring leaderboard last year, and so they will be counting on him more than ever this year, Alexander Gilshich, a Bosnian forward. Therefore, they are 0-2-1 across their last three games, and they haven't scored any goals. Uh, my thoughts on this is until they find their offense, it's hard to not go with the home team for this one, and I do think that uh, Tel Aviv are going to start off the group stage with a win. Kitties everywhere. That has come to mean that it's time for us to take a break from tracking the upcoming week's matches and do what we purport to do, and that is namely track. So let's do a recap of last week's matches. Match number one was a Friday match out of Major League Soccer. Number three in the East, Nashville, took on number four, NYCFC. The result was a Nashville 3-1 win. Now, they didn't actually change positions in the table in any way, shape, or form, though. Nashville, Haney Mukhtar had a brace guy we had said to look for. Also, CJ Sapong that we mentioned had an assist for NYC. Their star, Valentin Castellanos, had a goal. I thought it was going to be a draw. Wow, Nashville really brought it. Match number B out of Jamaica's National Premier League. Number two, Mount Pleasant Academy took on number one, Veer United. The result was a nil-nil draw. That drops Veer all the way down to fourth, and Mount Pleasant Academy down to fifth. Everything's been really tight in the table there. Sunday, match number three, England's FA Cup, where a couple of ninth pyramid level teams played each other, Squires Gate FC and North Shields FC. And to my surprise, it was Squires Gate with the 1-0 win. Congratulations to them on advancing a step closer to the event proper. Sunday, match number four, CONCACAF World Cup qualifying the third round. Second place at the time, USA took on number seven, Canada, and the result was a 1-1 draw, match number five. Uh, We went to UEFA for their World Cup qualifying the first round, the group stage there. Number one, Belgium took on number 18, Czech Republic in the seeding, and unsurprisingly, it was a Belgian win 3-0. Their star, Lukaku, had both a goal and an assist. Match number six, South America, Conmebol's World Cup qualifying. Number six, Paraguay, played host to number five, Colombia. Result was a 1-1 draw. They did not change positions in the table for Colombia. And the man of the match, I believe, guys, we said to look for was Juan Cuadrado. He had a penalty kick goal. Monday was match number seven. We went to Africa for their World Cup qualifying, where the last bottom, or rather the bottom seed remaining, number 50, the national team from Djibouti, took on number 29, uh, Niger, and uh, the result was a 2-4 win for Niger. They were actually behind in that game fairly early on, but in any case, uh, because of the draw, these two teams are still going to be number three and four in that four team table, respectively. Guy we did say to look for for Niger, Victorian Abadayor had a brace of goals. 
Tuesday, match number eight, Asia's World Cup qualifying. The third round, number 11, Syria, took on number seven, UAE. The result was a 1-1 draw. Uh, UAE is number three in that table, and Syria will be number four for that group stage table. Wednesday, our next match was from UEFA Women's Champions League, the second round of qualifying, and it was the second match of a home-and-away two-legged tie between 27-seeded Bordeaux probably the third best team in Europe and maybe the world, but because they didn't win their league last last year, they had to play one qualifying round. VFL Wolfsburg, they would have a million titles if it weren't for Lyon over the last decade and change. And yet, wow, the first match went in favor of Wolfsburg, 3-2. They barely won. Bordeaux won in this Wednesday match, 3-2 for a tie on aggregate. And they had to go to penalty kicks. And in my opinion, this would have been one of the greatest cup women, women's club upsets in all of all time. And then Bordeaux crapped the bet and couldn't make a single penalty kick. They lost three to nothing on penalties. Match number 10, CONCACAF World Cup qualifying from the third round. It was the USA once again, this time traveling to number five, Honduras. The result after an abysmal first half came, became a rout. USA won one to four. That moved up the USA to the backup to number three in the table after that draw against Canada and it dropped Honduras down to number six. And then our bonus matches with explanations on what uh, defines these coming later on Wednesday. Uh, we didn't have any top flight uh, route of the week candidates for first versus last place. We went to the second division of Australian women's football, the Queensland, Queensland National Premier League. Number one, Queensland's Lions took on number eight uh, in the championship round, uh, FQQAS. They were just starting the champions round. They were lucky to be there at all, were QAS. I predicted a 9-0 win, and as it turned out, New Stradamus wasn't the only one that got a match right last week. The result was actually 9-0. And just think, I did it sober. The most meaningless match in the world was the Sunday match out of the Dominican Republic. Their Liga Mayor top flight, number five, Vega Real took on number four, Mocha, and the result was a Vega Real 1-0 win. That moves up them up to number three in the table, and Mocha down to number five. Who cares? It was meaningless. And then finally, the match was disappointed. It was last place in Norway's women's top flight, the top Syrian, uh, Syrian Staubach, taking on number nine, Klepp. And the result was, in the most disappointing fashion possible, unless the teams were so bad you didn't watch them play, the match was postponed, and at this time, they have not set a new time in which to play that. And so that fittingly concludes your rank recap of last week's matches. Now let's dive right back into the upcoming week's matches with... Match number six. Number six takes us to Asia, where the Champions League is in full swing. In fact, they're in the knockout stage. Welcome to the round of 16. And they're not doing it the way their European or other counterparts around the world might do typically. These matches are not going to be uh, two-legged ties home and away. They are playing one leg, and one of the team does get to host. It's not going to be in a neutral site. The match we're going to look at, Nogoya Grampus 8 out of Japan, a name I've just always loved for so long, versus Daegu FC, a team that probably none of us are terribly familiar with and for reasons we'll talk about in a bit. If you are an incredibly early riser here stateside, feel free to catch this one on Paramount+. Plus. It kicks off at 5 a.m. You can have that with your Count Chocula or your Captain Crunch or what have you. Let's see. Let's talk about Nagoya Grampus 8. Uh, first of all, I sort of assumed that Grampus was going to be the name of some sort of a, a company with an Englishy sounding name, uh, as is often the fashion over there. But it turns out a Nagoya, well, being the city, and then Grampus is actually a type of dolphin. 
Uh, animal lovers might know this as a Rissos dolphin or a monk dolphin. Anyway, really neither here nor there. As far as the city, uh, Nagoya is the fourth largest city and metro area in Japan, about two and a half million, big auto industry center. Japan's league is currently rated number one in all of Asia. And longtime European footy fans will recognize this name, even though they haven't been really making any noise in the Champions League in recent years, if ever. Arsene Wenger actually coached this team. And to their best finish to that date, uh, back in 1995, not sure how long he was with them, might have only been one season, but they had a great season in 95. They qualified for this event by finishing number three in their domestic league last year. They've only got one league title to their credit. That was in 2010. And yet here in the modern era, they've been to the Champions League in Asia three different times. Most recently, though, all the way back in 2009, made the semifinal in 2005. That was their best ever finish this year currently. uh, And the season is getting close-ish to being done. They are currently ranked number six. Yeah, it's about two-thirds of the way through. The reason they're not higher up, it has been the offense. They are rated well below average in Japan in that category, just tied for number 12. Defense is second best in the league, though, and that that gives them an overall uh, goal differential in the top six. In the group stage... They went 5-1-0, and oh, didn't have any trouble at all, had a 14-2 uh, goal differential against those teams. On the event scoring leaderboard from Brazil, the singularly named uh, Mateus, a smaller guy might have trouble seeing him on Paramount+. Plus. He's only five foot six, but he's playing in the winger position, playing goalkeeper, very good longtime veteran, uh, Australian guy named Mitchell Langerak, and uh, – Bundesliga fans, German footy fans will recognize him. He uh, did several seasons with uh, between Stuttgart and Borussia Dortmund. Their current form, they're doing very well of late, unbeaten in their last seven. Meanwhile, Daegu FC, they were founded in 2002, and I love teams like this. They're owned by their local government, not a corporation. Uh, Daegu, for those who are unfamiliar, is the third biggest city and overall metro area, like their counterparts today, uh, about two and a half million people. Big industrial part of the country there in the southeast, uh, especially electronics, although that was a little bit more in the 60s through 80s. Uh, Textiles balance that out now. But the part that I like that I found for a side note from them is if you're ever at, I don't know, Whole Foods or wherever you might get your fruit from strange exotic locales around the world, this is the warmest part of Korea, and it is perfect for growing apples and oriental melons. So if you're getting apples and you see a sticker that says something about South Korea, now you know where it probably came from. In any case, back to the footy. South Korea's league is very good as well. It is ranked second best in all of Asia. Uh, 2019 Champions League was the only other time that this team has appeared, and they didn't get there by uh, their league finish. They won the FA Cup the year before, and they made the group stage. Now, how did they qualify this year? A little bit of an interesting story on that. They only finished in fifth place out of the 12 in 2020 in the league, and only the top four teams get to go. And that's, by the way, their highest league finish to date. But the team that finished in fourth place, uh, Sangju Sangmu, is a military team that changed cities in the offseason. And I believe it was for that reason, or maybe there was something else involved. Uh, They uh, were made to or decided to relegate themselves down to K-League 2. Because they are relegating, that made them ineligible for the Champions League. And so Daegu got to slide into their spot. 
Now, the season this year domestically over there, K-League 1, is just about over, and the team's doing very well. They're going to qualify all on their very own. So proud. Look, Ma, no hands. They are in third place, the fifth-best offense, fourth-best defense. Uh, goal differential is only uh, zero, and yet amazingly that ties them for third place in that particular statistical category. Bottom line is that the top two teams, uh, Ulsan and Jean Buc, absolutely have run away with the league this year. In fact, Ulsan's ahead by enough that they've already been awarded the title unofficially. In the group stage for this event, they did well enough as far as their goal differential, 22-6, and 4-0-2. But interestingly, they were a distant second place to uh, the Japanese frontrunners this year, Kawasaki uh, Frontale. On the scoring leaderboard in the league, players to look for for this team. From Brazil, Cecinia, 31-year-old forward. He's been here since 2017, longest portion of his career by far. And then the assist leaderboard for the league is... One monikered Edgar, also out of Brazil. That's kind of their thing down there. 34-year-old journeyman striker who's never been able to stay in one place for more than a season or maybe two anywhere. But this is probably the best he's ever done, so he's finally found a home. Therefore, they are 2-1-0 in their last three. Now, my thoughts on this, despite the fact that Degu's form looks a little bit later of me, uh, better of late, the bottom line is that the Japanese teams are far and away uh, the best in all of Asia. And it's worth noting that not only did Daegu kind of pull a goose maverick from Top Gun and slide into uh, that military team spot, but they were supposed to have played in a qualifying round before getting to the group stage. But all the teams from a couple different countries, including Thailand, dropped out uh, for various COVID-related reasons. And so they got to slide in automatically without playing a single match already into the group stage. So they pulled a goose slash Maverick twice. If you're going to gamble on this one, you can go with the Japanese team all day long. Match number seven. Marching forward into the midweek Wednesday, we are back to Europe for another international club tournament. We started with the tertiary one, the Europa Conference League. This time, we're going to move to the other end of the spectrum and talk about the beginning of the group stage or event proper in the Champions League, the best of the tournaments. Group stage has eight groups of four. The top two are going to advance out of each of those groups. They're going to play double round Robin home and away. And then the number three finishers, their international seasons will not be done. They will drop down to the Europa League knockout playoff round. They'll basically have to uh, best one other team in order to get to the Europa League group stage. Matchup we've cho chosen to look at. This is another one where it's the first time the team has made an international group stage. Congratulations out of Moldova to FC Sharif Tiraspol, and they will be taking on Ukrainian side, the experienced Shakhtar Donetsk, 12.45 p.m. Eastern time in the U.S., Paramount Plus, the streaming service. And let's talk about Sharif. Uh, they are known as the Wasps, and they play out of uh, the city of Tiraspol. And that is an area of the country called uh, Transnistria. Who knows, in the, uh, in the medium to far future, this might be its own country. It's uh, very much autonomous now, uh, sort of loosely analogous, let's say, to the Basque country in Spain. In any case, as you would imagine, this being their first group stage, they are the lowest seeded team remaining in the Champions League. The league is all the way up to number 34. That's a jump of 11 in the coefficients, bigger than I've ever seen, as you would imagine. It's pretty much exclusively due uh, to uh, what it is that FC Sharif is able to do every year. 
They are ranked as number 80, well within the top 100. That kind of surprised me, ranked clubs in UEFA. They had to enter this tournament. This really impresses me all the way back at the first qualifying round. So first, second, third of the playoff round, they've had to, nobody else has had to beat four teams that's ever gotten here before, I don't believe. Uh, they beat Dynamo Zagreb out of Croatia in the uh, in the last round and handled them easily, 3 nothing. Uh, 19 league titles to their credit in the 24 years since they've been founded, including nine straight titles. Just nobody else from Mendova you really need to worry about. Uh, 2017, they had their best international finish in the Europa League. They made the group stage. In last year's league, all I'm going to give you is their goal differential, 116 goals for them, and they only conceded seven. It just wasn't fair, to be perfectly honest. Uh, number one league score for them, their star, because he's also second place in assists in last year's statistics. From Colombia, their star forward is Frank Castaneda. And then as far as their goalkeeping, I, I'd love to mention somebody, but I don't know, have any idea who's going to start. They had three different guys who I don't know if it was just due to injury or because they've got a sweet rotation going and they're all great, uh, that basically all got equal time. They all got like between uh, 12 and 14 starts, I believe, in the last year, year and a half. Number win league score early in their season this year, and so I think a guy to be looking for from Guinea is Momo Yansane, plays center forward, be easy to spot. He's already got four goals in four league matches. Their current form, they are unbeaten in 11 matches across all competitions. Now, coming to town, Shakhtar Donetsk. They are known as the Miners or the Moles. They've got an interesting story of their own footy-wise uh, because Donetsk is in uh, a really unfortunate part of that country of recent years. It's right smack dab in the middle of the area where the Russo-Ukrainian war has been going on. So amongst other places, and most recently, they have been playing their matches in Kiev. I think it's been... Uh, like around a decade now. I know it's been several seasons. They are the 19th seeded club remaining. Uh, their league is ranked number 15 in all of UEFA. That's up three from a year ago. And to give you some perspective for some better known names, they are considered the number 18 UEFA club right now, which puts them right on par with uh, Lyon out of France's League One and Napoli from Italy's top flight, the Serie A. They entered this event two rounds ago, the third qualifying round. Last round to advance to the group stage, they beat AS Monaco in a real close one, two to three for that home and away two-legged tie. 13 league titles. They had won four straight until last year. Uh, they won the Europa League in 2008-2009, best they've done in either of the international tournaments. 4-1-1 one one early this year in their league season. Last year, finished in second place. They lost to Dynamo Kiev by 11, which surprised a lot of folks. I mean, Kiev's usually in the top three, but for them to really take Donetsk to task like that was surprising. Uh, Donetsk had the second best offense, defense, goal differential all going Top 10 scorer for them, Manor Solomon out of Israel 24-year-old attacking midfielder If you pay attention to the rumor mill uh, In fairly recent months, he had been rumored to maybe be going to Arsenal for this season And four years ago, barely out of his teens, Liverpool really had an eye on him And I think his Premier League debut will come sooner rather than later 21 national team caps already for him for Israel as well Then number one in assists last year's league leaderboard Alan Patrick from Brazil center midfielder he has been with this team since 2011 so about the longest tenure i've seen of anybody anywhere in a top flight 
This year, who has had the hot, uh, well, hand would be the expression, but feet, I know. Number one player for them early so far this year in the league season has been a guy out of Burkina Faso, uh, Lucina Treor, just 20 years old, center forward. He has had interest recently from uh, Wolverhampton and West Ham over in the Premier League, so he'll probably be making a bigger European move before too long as well. And he's already got four goals and five appearances this year. Their current form, they've only had draws in their last two uh, and that interrupted a or ended a four-game streak of all wins across all competitions. My thoughts on this one, hey, I'm going to play the noob card. I mean, Tiraspol is a team that hasn't proved it at this level. They've never been here before. Uh, but the way they handled the Croatian side in the playoff round, I simply would not bet on this one, even if I were inclined to be betting on the footy. Match number eight. Another Wednesday match, and it brings us back to North America, but not quite truly stateside. It's time for us to take a gander at the quarterfinals of the Canadian Championship. That's their FA Cup. This is going to be a single-legged affair, and it's not going to be at a neutral site. Forge FC, one of the Canadian Premier League teams still left in the event, will host another one from the CPL, Valor FC. Winner take all, and that winner will get to take on either HFX Wanderers, one of the truly lesser, to be perfectly honest, Canadian Premier League teams, or, far more than likely, Club de Foot out of Montreal. Not one of MLS's strongest teams, but still a major league soccer side. They won't have any trouble with HFX, I don't believe. And as a reminder, the winner of this event uh, does get a reward. They do not automatically qualify for the CONCACAF Champions League, but they do get to go to a feeder tournament for that, the CONCACAF League, which a bunch of Central American and Caribbean teams, top six from that event every year, qualify for the CCL. In any case, that's all you're going to get about this particular match because match number eight has been becoming something of a tradition for a food segment. We like to uh, not only learn about football, but learn things about the world through the lens of football, or maybe in a case like this, just using football as an excuse. Art, architecture, geography, a case, occasionally a little sociology and politics. We like to look at all sorts of aspects of the world, but my favorite one is food, and hence Mansion Number 8 has become a food segment. And Forge FC plays, about, uh, plays out of Ontario, and so we are going to talk about Windsor-style pizza, which I was not familiar with, Windsor on Ontario. It starts off not too much, uh, nothing too out of bounds about it. It's a medium-thick crust, uh, very much a combination of crispy and chewy at the same time. The sauce starts to set it apart a little bit. The description to me sounds like the newer Domino sauce. They added a bunch of crushed red uh, peppers maybe 10 years ago when they did the, the Domino's remake on this. This is an uh, Arabiata-style sauce. And uh, in addition to the tomatoes and the garlic, I think what makes this specific to Windsor style is that the chili peppers are specifically cooked in olive oil, olive oil before they're added to the sauce. In any case, what else sets it apart? Well, pepperoni is the most traditional topping, but they specifically shred it for a very interesting texture, not diced, not sliced, shredded. And then this would not be my favorite because I'm not a fan of canned anything, but you don't for Windsor style, use fresh mushrooms traditionally. The mushrooms are supposed to precisely be of some canned variety. And, and this is not as unusual, but the toppings are always on top of the cheese for Windsor style, never the other way around. And then if you want to truly have it the way the locals have it, if you're making this on your own, have it with a side of barbecue sauce. I used to work in the restaurant industry. I'm used to, I'm used to seeing barbecue sauce on pizza, but barbecue sauce as a dipping sauce, to go with the tomato arrabbiata sauce, that is strange to me. 
But in any case, unless you live in the Windsor area, you're going to have to make this own. And so I wish you luck in gathering all the ingredients and making your own special Windsor-style pizza. Match number nine. On to the last day of our soccer week, Thursday, and we're going to round out our visit to the three international club tournaments in Europe by looking at the middle one, the Europa League. And uh, we will continue our theme of looking at at least one team that is getting to the group stage of an international tournament in Europe for the first time here for match number nine. And the matchup in question is Dynamo Zagreb out of Croatia. They've been to group stages before versus kind of surprisingly, because these are long, longtime Premier League members, West Ham. And uh, this is, again, the Europa League. The group stage is just starting up, just like for the other two. Here's how things look. The winners are going to advance out of these groups of four. The second-place teams are going to have to play a team that will drop down from the Champions League after they lose in a certain round for the right to get to the group stage. The third-place finishers out of each of the groups will drop down to the Europa Conference League for uh, knockout round playoff matches to try to advance. And your matchup. Dynamo Zagreb out of Croatia, they are no stranger to group stages versus, kind of surprisingly, West Ham out of the Premier League in England. They're a longtime member of the league, but have never been to a European tournament group stage. You can catch this, by the way. Paramount Plus, once again, is the location. 1245 Eastern U.S. time is the kickoff. Your host, Dynamo Zagreb. Uh, the Croatian top flight is ranked number 15 in UEFA. The club is tied for number 30, 30 overall in UEFA. Gives some perspective on one of the big three over in Portugal, which is a top five league in Europe, is the team they're tied with. That is Sporting CP. Uh, as previously mentioned in one of the other matches, uh, Zagreb lost to FC Sharif out of, uh, out of Moldova in the Champions League playoff round. That's how they got down here to the Europa League. Now, domestically, they have not been to be trifled with. 22 league titles, and they are the four-time defending league champions. Last year, they made the quarterfinals of the Europa League, in fact. Uh, they have never gotten to the champion, never gotten past the Champions League group stage, but they did get again to the group stage of that one two years ago. This year in league, it's very young in the season, of course, 4-1-1, and, and they are in first place. Last year in winning the league, they did so by eight points over Osijek, uh, number one offense, two, uh, well over two goals per game average, second best defense, number one goal differential. Number two league leading scorer was theirs, and I say was on purpose, past tense. Mario Gavranovic from Switzerland is no longer with the team. He has moved on to Kaiseraspor over in the Turkish top flight. So they will be counting more than ever on number three league leading scorer from last year, Mislav Orsic. Uh, he does some winger and plays some left back. Definitely a box-to-box player. He's a utility guy that can go anywhere. And then the best all-around player that they've got going is a left back named Bartol Frangish. Uh, I know it's early in the year, but I'm still always looking for new names to look for. And he's just 21 years old, plays left back for them, but he is phenomenal in open space. Excellent passer, already has a couple of assists, and his dribbling success rate is also incredibly high. I would look for this guy to move up within the next year or two to an even uh, bigger European league. Their current form, they are 2-0-1 in their last three matches. And now to our little uh, celebration of West Ham out of Stratford, East London. And for newer listeners, if you're familiar with this team at all, it might well be because whether you realize it or not fully, is that the history of hooliganism, the, the violent fan behavior, uh, 
that started up in the 70s, basically, in Europe, has its roots right here with this club and its fan. They've even had two, at least two different uh, films made about it. The Firm that started Gary Oldman, which I have not seen, and then Green Street Hooligans that uh, had Elijah Wood in it was all about the hooliganism regard, uh, surrounding uh, West Ham. Now, this team has been to the Europa League three different times. They qualified to the group stage this year. They got to go straight through. They didn't have to play in the qualifying rounds because they finished in sixth place last year in the Premier League. Interestingly, uh, Leicester City finished in fifth place right above them, but they also won the FA Cup, and that is how they officially qualified for the Europa League. And so... Their, their league, Europa League berth, got to drop down to the number six team. That, in turn, is why uh, Tottenham Hotspur, the team I like least over in England, uh, had to settle for the uh, tertiary Europa Conference League instead of the Europa League. Ha ha, neener, neener. Anyway, this year, very early in the season, West Ham is 2-1-0, and oh, but they have been incredibly impressive on offense. They've already got 10 goals. That's tied for the most in the whole league. Uh, their uh, best finish in the league. They've never done better than third. You've got to go all the way back to 1985-86 to find that. Uh, last year, they tied for number six in offense and defense and had just the eighth best goal differential in the league. I'm not sure that this is a team that can challenge for the title. They probably could for the Europa League to be or the Europa Conference League. In any case, on the scoring leaderboard last year, Aaron Criswell, he is a left back and he has been there a long time since 2014. The best player they've had going early on this season, though, has been their Jamaican striker, uh, Michael Antonio. He's already got four goals and three assists. It's just been outstanding. Uh, other than a loan that he had to Southampton, this is really going to be his first stretch uh, with a Premier League club. He has spent his entire career primarily with uh, Division II uh, championship-level British clubs. As far as the team's form, they just had a draw with Crystal Palace, but before that, all their wins uh, over the late spring and through the summer have been wins. And match number 10, we're done. Finally! Done, finally? Well, I suppose in the sense that this is the last of our 10 official matches. That won't end the podcast, though. We still have our three super fun bonus matches to go. But... Last yet certainly not least of the official 10, we're headed to the CONCACAF Champions League. It is the semifinals, and it is leg two, uh, match two of the two-legged ties. They're doing home and aways for these. On one side of the tournament bracket, still alive, you've got the Philadelphia Union and uh, Club de America out of Liga MX. That particular matchup for the first one, Club America is probably the, the best the best in the Western Hemisphere, or at least uh, in CONCACAF, the best club. They beat Philadelphia 2-0 in home, and really uh, it could have been a lot worse, to be perfectly honest. So the match we are going to look at is Cruz Azul playing host to Monterey. Monterey hosted the first one and won that one one nothing. Time to see if Cruz Azul can hold serve at home. And we'll talk about them first. And they are known as the cement makers or the hairs, like a rabbit, not the hair on your head. Also, something new I just learned, they are the only club in Liga MX that has official cheerleaders, Las Celestes. I can get down with that. All right. Uh, they qualified for this event by finishing, by, or rather by being in first place. I can't really say finish in the 2020 Clausura stage. Remember, each uh, Mexican and actually just about all the Latin American countries divide their soccer year into two seasons, Apertura, Clausura. So, 
2020 Clausura, when the season was aborted because of COVID at the time, Cruz Azul was in first. That's particularly interesting because Cruz Azul is kind of like the, the Cubs or the Red Sox until a few years ago when they each started winning their uh, you know their World Series titles between them. This was a team that, despite some international success, had never quite been able to get over the hump domestically, not, not since like 1979-80, uh, I believe was the last time. So it was interesting they were in first place and then they don't get an official title. Now they have won nine stage titles overall and congratulations to them in the last stage that got played, which will have an effect on the next champions league. They actually did win for the first time since 1979, 1980. Now here's the surprising part. Again, despite the troubles domestically finishing things off, they do have six CONCACAF champions league titles to their credit. They've won it six times. Most recently, 2013-14 in the current stage season the 2021 apertura stage it's only seven games in and they are in seventh place fifth best offense fourth best defense fourth best goal differential they're about you know where they should be it seems like tied for number two in league scoring so far is sentia Ooh, tied for number b person is going to have my hide for that Second best in league scoring right now, Santiago Jimenez. He's four, just 20 years old. I wonder if he's going to be interested in making a move over to one of the big European leagues. I already know that DC United has, uh, they were showing a lot of interest in him, in him last year. Although to be perfectly honest, if I understand right, the Mexican uh, teams are able to pay uh, a lot more players a fair bit more than um, the MLS can right now. So I'm not sure why he would make that move necessarily. In any case, second place in event scoring here for the CCL is their Ecuadorian forward, 25 years old, Brian Angulo. Uh, he spent the heart of his career with uh, Emelec, and then last year he was. Uh, this team had the rights to him, but they loaned him out to Tijuana. The best player they've got going in league this year has been Guillermo Fernandez, central midfielder, and more than anybody I have ever seen. Uh, over here in CONCACAF, he is the one that makes his team tick. Doesn't score, doesn't get assists necessarily, but he has the highest dribbling statistical rate of success that I've ever seen, almost 90%. And then his passing is very good. And then his tackles are probably, his tackling percentage success rate is also probably in the top five that I've ever seen anywhere. This is a guy, despite the, uh, the fact that uh, he's, uh, that's super long in the soccer tooth. He spent some years with a couple of the very best Argentinian teams as well. Uh, Racing Club and not as good the last couple of years, but uh, Boca Juniors. Their form, their last three matches, interestingly, they are 0-3-0. and They have all been low-scoring draws. And now we'll talk about Monterey. They have, they're the ones with the 1-0 lead right now. They have won five league titles, most recently the 2019 Apertura Stage. They've won the CONCACAF Champions League four times themselves, most recently 2019. This year, in their current stage, they are in sixth place, undefeated, but a lot of draws, 2-5-0. Fourth best offense, defense, goal differential. On the scoring leaderboard is Rogelio Funes Mori, an Argentinian forward. Fun fact that I did not know about him until I did a slightly deeper dive on him this week because I've talked about him briefly before. He's got a twin brother who's also a professional footballer. I don't know if he plays the same position, but he plays with a pretty good Saudi Arabian team, Al Nasser. 
top five in this event in league scoring is Maximiliano Metza. He is another Argentinian, and he is a midfielder. They're all around best player going right now between all events, though, is probably Arturo Gonzalez. He's their central midfielder. He's already got a goal and two assists. Assists, And he's also spent five years with Atlas. So this is a guy who's played for amongst the very best in Liga MX. What's been really impressive about him to me when I was looking at his stats is if you can shut this guy down, that team doesn't look like they're going to be able to do anything. The sheer, forget the passing success rate and the dribbling success rate. And they're, you know, he's good at the passing, the dribbling is so-so, but the sheer volume of passes running through him is like, you looked at a heat chart for this team, everything goes through this central midfielder. So you will have your eyes on him, I'm sure, if you choose to catch this one on Paramount+. Plus. This team's form, uh, they've been unbeaten all summer, but just like the team they're playing today, their last three matches have been draws. Pretty interesting. And now time for the bonus matches, my favorite part of the show. Now, these are not big-time international matches, uh, nor do they tend to be one versus number B matchups from various leagues. But I promise you that each match is a special and unique snowflake just like you. And you get to vote on which matches that we do for these every week. You can do so by finding me on Twitter, Soccer Noob USA. Early on every single week, I put up the polls. You decide which matches we're going to do, and the magic content happens. First up is a first versus last place matchup from somewhere on the globe that we like to call the... Route, 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 route of, 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 of the week, week. Week, week. And as are all our bonus matches this week, interestingly, not by design, uh, Saturday matches. And uh, in a rarity, we're not going to be looking at a top flight match. Uh, when it comes to the U.S., I am willing to dive down a little bit deeper. Our route of the week match comes from the USL Championship, the second level professional division right below MLS. And the match we're going to look at is out of the Eastern Athletic Division. That is one of four divisions in the total of two conferences in this league. They're about two-thirds of the way through the season. The top four from each of the divisions are all going to get to go to the playoffs. And your matchup is they were number one when I put it up, so I decided to stick with it. They are now in second place in their division, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, and they are playing host to last-place road-killing-waiting Loudoun United. And if you uh, care to witness the bloodshed for yourself, the carnage, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S., ESPN Plus is the place. Probably not suitable for children under 90. I don't know. It's going to be bad. Uh, the series overall in the eight times they've played, Pittsburgh is 7-0-1 against them. They've already played three times this year. Pittsburgh won at home 1-0. Uh, they won on the road 2-3. But one of the very few wins that Loudon have was a home win against this team. They won 2-1 the second time they played them. Here's how the table looks for the Eastern Athletic. Pittsburgh currently trail the Tampa Bay Rowdies by two, and then they lead uh, Miami FC by six. Uh, they have played uh, between two and four more matches than anybody else in the entire division, to be honest, Pittsburgh has. So not really sure they're going to be able to challenge Tampa Bay for the division overall, but three points today will go a long way towards helping that particular cause. Louisville, or not Louisville, Loudon, same abbreviation. 
they're the worst in the entire league, not just this conference. They currently trail a New York Red Bulls reserve team by five. Luckily for them, there is no relegation out of the USLC. First, we'll talk about Pittsburgh, your victors in waiting. The club was founded in 1999. Something I just learned is they have made it very uh, formally known that they wish to be a part of MLS by 2023. Major League Soccer has not shown any interest whatsoever in having them join. Kind of curious to find out what that is. In any case, as far as their historical league success, the best they've done, they did win the Eastern Conference in 2019. Uh, Last year, they finished in third place in the East and made it to the conference quarterfinals. This year, uh, despite the fact that they, well, partially because they've got a couple matches in hand, but they've got the number one offense going, but they've also got the second best defense, second best goal differential. So while I would put my money on the Tampa Bay Rowdies, not counting this team out yet for the division title, best all-around player they've got going right now is Canardo Forbes out of Jamaica, central midfielder. He's got a goal and six assists. As to their current form, they just had a draw versus San Antonio, and that broke a, that ended a three-match winning streak. Speaking of three-match winning streaks, uh, I doubt that Loudoun have ever had one. (laughs) Loudoun United, that's the name of the county. They play out of Leesburg, Virginia, and uh, their first season was just 2019. So they can be forgiven as the the child club, DCU, is the parent. You know, they're very, very young, so they're just getting their feet under them. That's okay. Uh, Last year, they finished in last place in the group, so it's not like it's surprising that they're in last place this year. But woof, <laughs> their statistics. Uh, worst on offense, they don't even score a goal per match. Somehow they don't have the worst defense in the in the division going, despite the fact that they allow over two goals per game. And that's good for, as you would imagine, the worst goal differential going. Their uh, best all-around player is Theodore Cudipietro. I doubt they'll be able to hold in uh, on him long. Central attacking midfielder, he's only 19 years old and he's got four goals. Their current form, they are 0-1-2 in their last three. They've only scored once and given up eight goals. My thoughts for how this match is likely to go, it is what I have said nearly every single time when it comes to the route of the week matches. I am not Noobstradamus, for better or worse, but I typically look at the stats and believe that these matches will always go 4-0. No exception here. Could you be the most meaningless match in the world? Yes, you could. You're so boring. (laughs) Oh, could it be the most meaningless match in the world? Oh, it will be. But what other podcast has the heart to shine a spotlight on two perfectly middling teams that no other podcast is probably looking at? And not to mention from the league in question that we're going to be looking at the teams from today. The most meaningless match in the world always pits two teams that are both next to each other in the table, perfectly equidistant, from being high enough in their league to get an international tournament berth or low enough in their league to be in the relegation zone or last place. Most likely getting kicked out to the nether regions of a second division never to be heard from again. The most meaningless match in the world this week comes to us from Mozambique, the Moshambola. It is the number 20 rated league in Africa. That's just a little bit above average, and that is down three from a year ago. They're a little over three quarters of the way through the season. Because they're not in the top 12 in Africa, that uh, legally uh, offers one Champions League berth. And I think the league was expanded this year because of not relegating teams due to COVID last year. So this year they're relegating five of the 14, which is just incredible to me. And the matchup is number five, Faro Viario Maputo taking on number six and easier for me to say, Costa del Sol. 
these are teams that are both out of uh, the capital city. In fact, five of the 14 uh, teams all play out of Maputo. Now, uh, Maputo won the first match one to two. So they get a chance to go for the season sweep here against Costa do Sol on the Saturday. Uh, right now, uh, Ferroviario Maputo trail first place Black Bulls Maputo by 10 points. So you can see they're not going to get there. And then in turn, Costa del Sol, they lead last place. Uh, Text Africa is the name of that club by eight points. And I believe they are uh, six points out of the relegation zone. So they're not really in any danger of that either. Hence the meaninglessness. Ferrovario Maputo, also very known in that region for its basketball and roller hockey, because what's more popular than African roller hockey? Yeah. Maybe nothing. I guess I don't know, but uh, call me African roller hockey noob, I guess. Color me surprised. Ten league titles for the credit historically, at least since uh, they the country became independent. Most recent title was 2015. They have made six Champions League appearances. Their best finish was their first one. That was the only time they ever got all the way to the group stage. That was 1998. 2019, the last complete season they played was number, uh, they finished in third place. This year, they only have the number eight offense going not too strong. But amazingly for a team that's in the middle of the table, because we've talked about so many teams that have been riding on their defense, they have the number one defense in the league, eight goals in 18 matches. So bus parkers, they play everybody back and probably only try to score on counters. It's good overall for the number three goal differential. Their current form, they are 1-2-0 and in their last three, and they have been playing, as you would imagine, exceptional defense. Meanwhile, Costa del Sol, they are known as the Canaries. Their stadium is only 550 yards. Very precise measurement I found from the beach there on the edge of Maputo, and that is why they are called Costa del Sol. Uh, interesting side note, their coach also coaches the national team in European and other you know, European countries and leagues. You won't usually find that sort of dual duty, but here you do. They have six Champions League appearances under their belt. Their best finish was in 2002 when they made the group stage. Uh, this year, fifth best offense, fourth best defense, number five goal differential. Nothing really surprising, just where they should be. They are also 1-2-0 and been playing for good defense. So the most meaningless match in the world, which I usually predict to be a draw of some kind, since both teams are playing good defense, will probably end with a very boring and meaningless 0-0 result. And now, New Bites, we have truly come to the end of our podcast road, where we never finish by celebrating success, but rather we do a match with two teams that we will show naught but scorn for these sad, sad league bottom feeders. After all, this is the match of... Disappointed! And overwhelmingly on Twitter, the one that you have all voted for was a Major League Soccer match, which if you choose to watch this, instead of doing something more fun, like gouging your own eyeballs out, uh, you can catch on ESPN Plus at 8 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. It is second to last place in the East and second worst in the entire league. Number 13, Cincinnati, taking on the very worst team, Number 14, Toronto. They played one time earlier this season, God help us, and uh, it was Cincinnati the one nil two. Now, there's no relegation for Major League Soccer, and no matter how you feel about that in a philosophical sense, it's hard not to wish that maybe we could bring up a couple of USL championship teams uh, to replace these absolutely putrid groups. In any case, Cincinnati lead Toronto by two, and then they trail New York Red Bulls, who are having an awful year, by five points. One of these two teams is going to finish in last. 
we will uh, look as we would in an eclipse, perhaps through a pinhole and a piece of paper or cardboard at Cincinnati first. They were founded just three years ago. But you know what? We're not accepting this as an excuse for how bad they stink because they were only founded three years ago on paper, really, in Major League Soccer form. This is a team that has existed much longer at the second division level. And quite frankly, we try to expect a little bit better. It's hard though too because uh, hard to though because they finished in number four they finished in fourteenth place last year. <laughs> maybe we should give them credit for being in thirteenth place this year. We're not going to, but maybe we should. On the assist leaderboard, one of the few players doing jack squat for them is Argentinian attacking midfielder Luciano Acosta, who spent the heart of his career in DC United and probably wishes that he were back in that swamp. But the worst player that that we've had going something we only do for the match of disappointed. Looking at all the starter stats, I have to say goalkeeper Kenneth Vermeer out of Netherlands, it might be go time to go home and jump off a windmill because good Lord, you're 33 years old. You've clearly outlived your soccer usefulness. Only four clean sheets and 16 appearances. It's just been such a fall from grace. He had, this guy had four straight titles when he was with uh, the Netherlands superpower in soccer, uh, Ajax. Oh, how the mighty do fall. The team's current form. Uh, 0-3 in their last three, no surprise there, 3-8 and eight goal differential, and they have not won a game since late June. Woof. Meanwhile, enough of that, and off to the next nightmare, Toronto. They won the title in 2017 and won the Supporters' Shield best record. In fact, that qualified for them for the Champions League for 2018. They finished as runners-up. What the bleep happened? I mean, even last year, they finished number two in the Eastern Conference. Now, they did bow out of the playoffs in the first round. Perhaps that was a harbinger of the suckitude that was to come. This year, they almost get to hang their hats on their offense. That's you know They're up in ninth place in that category, but they give up over two goals a game, so the scoring just doesn't matter. Worst goal differential as well. In fact, if you break everything down, their average match, the result is a nearly a full one-goal loss. Just putrid. On the assist leaderboard, and barely, is Jefferson Soteldo from Venezuela, 24-year-old winger. (sighs) What's the most popular sport in Venezuela, kids? It's baseball. What's the second most popular sport? It's basketball. If you are looking for football players, and the exception to the rule in South America that is Venezuela, it means you're probably going to get featured on the match of disappointment. And so it has come to fruition. Now, interestingly, this guy does apparently have some talent. Even being 24, he spent his first, he spent the three previous years with a, a pretty darn good Brazilian top flight club in Serie A. There he was with Santos. <laughs> I did find one thing I read that his coach said about him to compliment. Oh, well, he's, uh, he's really good in tight spaces. <laughs> the dude's five foot two. Those are the only kind of spaces he's going to be good in, potentially. And how he can't have been being that good. The team's in last place. In any case, I was looking for transfer rumor on him possibility since he has shown some spark. Says he's uh, he's holding out hope for a move to Manchester United. Yeah, you know what? So am I. So is Noobstradamus. So is my daughter. Ain't none of us going to get there, and this guy certainly won't make the jump straight there. Now, uh, other MLS teams have been interested in picking him up, but not you know not anybody like Columbus. Oh. Snap. Sorry, Cincinnati fans <laughs> had to go there. Uh, Dallas and the quickly also following from Grace Atlanta United teams have been looking at him. But the worst player that they have going, the one I should be really saving this bile and vitriol for, is their goalkeeper. Once again, Alex Bono. 27 years old, should be in the prime of his career. 
but he's gotten stagnant apparently because almost his entire senior career has been spent here since 2014. My guess is he is just frozen in place so he can't make any saves and they can't get rid of him. And on that silly and sour black note, rather than wishing these unacceptable examples of soccer competence good luck, we will send them off in our traditional way. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Away. Hey, boo. boo. And that'll put a bow on episode 48 of the 10 to track weekly world match previews podcast. Unique, right? Not like anything else you've heard, for better or for worse, but we're sure hoping that you'd enjoyed it. We really strive to uh, do something that is unusual and fun, unlike any other podcast out there. We hope that you'll take the opportunity uh, to share its existence with your footy-minded friends. In any case, I'd like to thank some folks, of course. Uh, the management, for all of his production and editing duties, to... Dan, the former website Interno Inferno for all his uh, creative contributions and inspiration. And of course, to my daughter, Person Noob. Mwah. Love you so much. Glad that we get to do this together. Even though I'm weird and you're weird, you're becoming your own kind of weird, but it's all still working out in the form of a show, right? In any case, most importantly, thank you very much for listening. And I hope until you tune in next time that you have a fabulous footy week. Take care. Yeah.